This is the Secrets We Share podcast, a show about the ins and outs, the ups and downs, and the left and rights of mental health care in Australia. Here's your host, Francis Carlton. Welcome to Secrets We Share, brought to you by Secret Keeper Counselling where we talk all things mental health with clients and clinicians. I'm Frances Carlton. I am the secret keeper. As usual, a little bit of a trigger warning, could be tears, could be laughter. You might even learn something. There may be some swears. You know, this is a bit of a, a, bit of a, a, bit of a hot topic. You've been warned, make yourself a cuppa, sit down and relax as I speak to Kel, and she's going to share some secrets with us today. Welcome, Kel. Thank you for having me. Very nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me into your home. And most importantly, thank you for making this room like a little sound booth by padding it with fabrics and duvets and everything. I'll just, I'm, I need, I'm going to need to get a picture of you because in, in, in your soundproof room, because I'm so used to going into people's homes and into their practices and it not being um, sound friendly. Not being sound friendly, yeah. That's that's one way of putting it, yeah. And sound just bouncing off all the walls and all the surfaces. So it's really so. Thank you so much for putting in some effort for me. That's uh, really really appreciated. Thank you very much. Well, it's the least you can do is one one podcaster to another. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> so before we talk about your podcast, um, can you describe yourself for me in three words? Yes. Uh, now this is hard, but I would say I'm kind. I'm interested, like curious, mm. and I'm non-stop. Go, go, go. Non-stop. Mm. Wow. I might come back to that one. Mm. Tell me a little bit more about interested. Um, I find everything interesting. I believe every human being is interesting. Everything about our world is interesting. How we behave with each other is interesting. What we feel is interesting. How we express that is interesting. The reasons behind all the whys, what's, where's and how's. Like there what is not to be interested in? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. There is so much to be interested in. Yeah. Do you have, have you ever found that there's anything that you're kind of like, mm, yeah, that actually isn't on my radar? What that's, I'm not interested in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, football, cricket and pretty much every sport available. <laughs> <laughs> Hear your sister. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, pretty much every Australian I know. <laughs> yeah, I'm I, I'm okay if it's going to a live match mm. or a live game. Mm. Nah. <laughs> no. Oh, wow. Oh, actually, no, I tell a lie because I was working on a project. My background's film and TV, actually not podcasting, but my background way back when before children is film and TV. And I was involved in a project and I was working with someone who actually was with the NRL. And so I ended up going to all these games and because they were inviting me and we were doing this thing together. And it just so happened that that year that the West Tigers were like winning and coming first. And that's my family's team. That's always been our team, the Tigers. Like There's hence the connection. A little bit yeah. of connection. Yeah. <laughs> the cats, like, you know. And um yeah, so I, this random thing, the one year that I actually got anywhere near interested in football or sport was the one year our big team was winning. It was the most exciting thing ever. I got to go to the grand final. I got to sit in the 
box. I got to be at the after party. That was pretty exciting. And it was pretty, you know, I got interested in football because the atmosphere of it all rather than the game. And that's, I think, why I enjoy going to live Live sporting events. I think anything live. Yeah. Oh, the Olympics live. Fantastic. Yeah, I didn't that was amazing. I worked at the Olympics. Mm, really? The 2000. Yeah, it was yeah, one of the. Wow. Do you still have a t shirt? I do. And you know what's funny? Do you still wear it? No. <sighs> I've put them all in a bag and kept them forever. And they are actually part of my fire rescue kit for when we have to leave because I know I can never get that, all the signatures and all the memories attached to that back. Of course. So. Yeah, no, no, that makes sense. <laughs> I did actually see somebody wearing a Olympic 2000 steward T-shirt in a shopping centre food court a couple of yeah, weeks no, ago. No, no, <laughs> no, no, that's not me. I don't need to relive it. I just want to hold on to the memory of it. Which is fair enough. <laughs> Which is fair enough. You know. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean that, that, is, that is irre- that's irreplaceable memorabilia. A hundred percent. And I was yeah. working for NBC at the time, so I got some really amazing signatures on those things. Yeah. Right. Which was hilarious because half of them I didn't even know how big these people were. And people were like, oh, my God, you got this. I'm like, who is that? Only the biggest. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, really? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Bonus. I'll keep it. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. So since the since the Olympics, mm. again sport, but you were you were a little bit into that, and the West Tigers um, being in getting up to the grand final, <laughs> couldn't give a stuff about sport generally. Generally, nah. Yeah, okay. I like yoga. Uh, yoga, that's my thing. Yeah. Mental health, yoga. Yeah, I was going to say that's not really. I wouldn't say yoga is a sport. No. It's much more of a. Introspection. It's a it's a condition. It's a way of being. Isn't it, it is. They say it's. They actually say there's a yoga lifestyle. I'm. Yeah. I don't know whether I would say that. I, because I know people who actually live the yoga lifestyle, so I wouldn't even dare to suggest that I'm anywhere near that. But I am a very big regular practitioner for my mental health. One of the mm. biggest things that has helped my mental health is definitely yoga and meditation. How long have you been doing yoga? Oh, wow. Probably about 20 years now. Right. I can't believe it's that long. Right. Yeah, and you know how media stories, TV, it always brings me in. I was not a yoga person at all. Right. I ended up getting into yoga because I got pulled on to be to work on a yoga TV show called Yoga TV, I think it was, or YTV, and – through doing weeks upon weeks, every single day, like we were recording multiple shows a day, mm. weeks after weeks after weeks of watch, I could I could mimic these people, the the um, instructors. This is it was like in my brain, and I started doing it, and it changed my life. It really did. Was it was it going through the motions when you first started mimicking it, or did you start to, after a while start to sort of actually? be more mindful in the practice as well or was it? I think honestly I lived with someone who was a home, not lived with, I actually had, I rented an apartment off, they had a, yeah, so I rented a studio apartment Mm. off their main house at the time Um, and, you know, not long out of uni, all of that kind of stuff and they were a homeopath and very much into yoga, meditation, all of that kind of thing. The lifestyle. Yeah, they Faux, 
Morpho, I would say. Oh, okay. (laughs) There are people who really live the lifestyle and people who want to be seen to living the lifestyle but don't really, you know, want to. And so I would suggest we're more along that lines, right? Mm. Um, But very much the principles behind it and all of that. Mm. And I, so I was aware of it, Mm. but I think I started doing it more because I was bored in the background of those times when I was just waiting for the the show to end to get to my next bit, change the set, you know, do the next Mm. setup, blah, blah, blah. And so I did it like just to kill time and maybe take the piss a little bit. I think I was having a bit of a job. I think I was being a bit tongue in cheek. Yeah, I was. You weren't being an Aussie larrikin, were you? A little bit, yeah. I was. Probably a bit disrespectful actually, thinking (laughs) back now if if that's, you know. (laughs) But within a week I noticed things. I noticed a stillness that I hadn't had before. I noticed the ability to cope with things in a way that I didn't used to cope before. Mm. I noticed, yeah, something shifting. And so I just kept, I kept doing it after that. I kept wanting to do it. Once it had Mm. finished, I was actually really devastated that it wasn't in my life anymore. And I, I went seeking it out after that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Was there the proliferation of yoga studios that there is now back then? It was just beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So it was very much Hatha, Ashtanga, and we were just really getting that hit of all of the Bikram hot yoga, which mm, is none that. of – Yeah, I'm not into that. I don't find that. No, I felt so that, ill. Yeah, I don't <laughs> find – Yeah, for me, yoga isn't about feeling sick or <laughs> – I feel like that almost goes against the whole thing of being able to nurture mm. yourself and mm. and be kind to yourself. And if I'm in a room pushing myself to the point where I feel sick and dizzy, mm. I feel like that's defeating the purpose of what I'm trying mm. to achieve. So, mm. but I know a lot of people who are massive advocates. So I, mm. I, it's each to your own with yoga. Well, but I, the reason the reason I tried it was because um, I have I have uh, I have a really bad hip. Oh, yes. I've had my hip reconstructed twice. Ooh. So I wanted I, – I can't go to the gym. I can't run. Yeah. I can't use it. Most I can't use like 95% of the stuff. So I'm basically limited to cycling and walking. That's mm. pretty much it. I'm not allowed to run. So I'm very limited in what I can do. And I tried yoga yoga mm. and I think it's probably the classes. They were a bit too fast. They were a bit more mm. sort of aerobic than than really slow. Yeah, and, that's how yoga kind of evolved. From yeah. yeah. And it, was, and it wasn't it – wasn't, it was it was not right, and somebody I was at a um, exhibition, sort of you know, spruiking, spruiking the, the the secret keeper, sort of trying to get the name out there. And I mm. happened to be in a stall next to the Bikram yoga lady, mm. and I was talking to her, and she was like, "Well, maybe because of the warmth, it would actually make it a little bit easier for you. So come along mm. and give it a go." Yeah, because it warms the muscles of your body and yeah. the joints, and that makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I thought, "Oh, well, I'll give it a go," mm. and I think the class that I went to, it was a like it was a beginner's class. And when I first went in there, I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. It's mm. so warm. It's mm. lovely. It's great. And I think I lasted about 25 minutes before I felt like I was going to pass out. Yeah, it's too much for, for and a lot then, of people. And then what I, and then what I realised was, was actually I also have high blood pressure problems as well. Oh, so that's not good. <laughs> thinking about it, it's probably not the right type of yoga to be doing. The wrong combination so, right there. So, you know, from a, from, a, from a hip point of view, yes, it was amazing because I yep. was actually able to stretch far further than I had been yep. cold. But for my blood pressure issue, it was kind of like, oh, no, big yeah. no, big no, big no, big no. So I drank a coconut water and left. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever tried Hatha yoga? 
No. You should try Hatha. Hatha is so gentle and it, right. it's all about finding the stretch and it's actually the one that is recommended for people who have back injuries, hip injuries. It's it's oh, the okay. it's the original one of the original forms of yoga and it's right. really gentle and um, you hold the stretch for long for longer periods but it's not about it's not aerobic at all. Um, it's one pose then the next pose. It's not in a heated room. And um, I think you should go back and give some Hatha yoga a try. It's really meditative and slow. Yeah, nice. Um, and it's all about gently moving yourself into it and mm. um, allowing your body to take you where it needs to go. Mm. Um, and I think you would probably get a lot of benefit out of that. No, oh, I might. I'll, I'll certainly investigate that. Mm. Thank you. I, you're in the wrong yoga. I don't know the different. I don't know the differences yeah. between the different types of yogas. But so you're still practicing yoga? Yeah, I do. I practice it. Every day now. Oh, well, I actually, I try to practice it every day, but sometimes I just don't. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's something that I use for a number of reasons. Mm. I use it for, because I get anxiety. Um, I So actually we don't know. My diagnosis has been generalized anxiety disorder, but my mm. um, I, one of my kids has been diagnosed with ADHD. Right. And since then... It's kind of been suggested to me that if they were to retest, they would probably look at me as being ADHD or ADHD and anxiety, because the most commonly mis the most common misdiagnosis for anxiety for anxiety for ADHD sorry in women is anxiety, mm. because of how it presents so similarly mm. aside from a few different mm. aspects. Yeah. So. Um, Completely forgot where I was going there. ADHD. But, oh, yeah, yeah, the yoga. So I use the yoga to manage my anxiety when I feel that spinning out of control to mm. try and bring myself back to a calmer space. And I use it as well because I don't know if I have ADHD or not, but I have a brain that seems to constantly move and sometimes I need that to stop. And so I use it for that reason. And I use yoga because also my body feels so much better. I'm aging, things are hurting, I'm getting knee issues, you know, um, getting old. And yeah, you, it, you can't hear, you can't see me, but I'm kind of rolling my eyes in agreement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, it's true. Like, you know, things yeah. and yoga helps that. And it's, mm. I think, going to help maybe extend it from getting too bad as quickly as it could. Mm. So mm. I use that. I use other exercise and I use meditation and, and of course, one nature. Of your, and, of course, one of your words at the beginning was, you know, always on the go. Yeah. Go, go, go. So tell me a little bit more about go, go, go. Um. Well, I just – it's – yeah, I I do stop. I, But my brain very rarely stops. So one of the things – so I feel like – the minute I get up in the morning and I get up at like 4, 3.34 in the morning kind of thing to try and fit everything in that I'm doing at the moment, which is hard. Mm. Um, but I've never been a massive sleeper. I was going to say, what time do you go to bed though? Usually about, honestly, I'll hit the sack by 9.30. You know, right. I am, yes, like literally just passed out. I mm. can't do work into the night. I'm just not that person. Mm. But I can get up really early and smash things out and get stuff done. And you're a morning person. I am. I'm big. I'm one of those really hateful morning persons that wake up and they're ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> so I have annoyed so many friends over the years. My ex-husband was one of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
having two rooms is really good for this. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. just to explain that, my partner and I actually have two separate bedrooms and so that's what I was referring to there. Yeah. We're sitting in my room at the moment. But yeah. it is. It's good because I wake up, I got my own space, I've got a couple of hours before everybody else gets up and wants a piece of me. Mm. That time is every – it's my mental health time. Mm. And so your daily self-care happens in that two hours. It really does and I need wow. it and I get mm. – I get a little bit tetchy if people wake up and start cutting into that time. So my son will wake up early and I'll be like, dude, this be my time. Yeah. You be upstairs yeah. <laughs> until 6am. Yeah. Because <laughs> he is also. A morning person. Yeah. We're very similar. Yeah. yeah. And um, it also presents with I've always had multiple things on the go. But my biggest issue in life possibly because of the anxiety. I'm pretty sure it's both of them, to be honest with you, because mm. I have an element that my son doesn't, that my daughter does, which is this inherent fear, this paralyzing fear that can come on. And I, she gets that. She has no ADHD, quite the opposite actually, mm. but she gets paralyzing fear. Gosh, I hope one. I don't know whether, am I allowed to talk about, oh. Yeah, of course you can. Yeah, yeah I don't yeah. know. I just, just sometimes mention, just I wonder about consent and just don't mention all of names, that, you're fine. you know. But, um, yeah, they get this, this paralyzing fear. My son doesn't get that mm. at all. He's just go, 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 impulse control, you know, um, self-control, forgetfulness, all that kind of, the, the mm. classic stuff, right? So how are you, how are you having had your own mental health journey, how are you helping them to navigate their own? It's gold. Yeah. It's gold being able to see myself in them mm. because I know all the things I wish my parents had done for me when I was a kid mm. now looking back. And you've got to remember as well though, when I was a kid, you know, 42 years ago, so I'm 42 years old, Mental health really wasn't discussed. It wasn't, it wasn't a thing. <laughs> no. We didn't have mobile phones or the internet or, you know. No. And texting. Yeah, we, you know, <laughs> we still had stigma. So much stigma. Like there's stigma now, but gosh, mm. 42 years ago, you didn't say you were depressed. Mm. You just got on with it, right? Well, if you did say get you up were depressed, get you were told it. to just get over it yeah. and swallow a cup of concrete and, you know. That's it. It'll be right, mate. Mm-hmm. Same with anxiety. What's anxiety? Anxiety didn't even exist truly. In I mean, it existed, but it wasn't believed. I mean, yeah, asthma just... wasn't believed then. It was a mental condition. No. Well, I, actually, you say about <laughs> asthma, and I've already mentioned, I've already talked about, you know, mentioned my ex-husband. Yeah. When he was a boy, if he was having an asthma attack, and this is growing up in the UK. Yeah, so yeah. So in the middle of winter, he'd be having an asthma attack, and his dad was told by the doctor to take him for a walk. Really? So at like two o'clock in the morning as a child, like as a five or six-year-old, my ex-husband would be having an asthma attack oh in the middle God. of a UK winter in the north of England, <gasps> be taken on a, on a, on a, on a, on a stroll on, on like a decent paced walk. He's which, lucky to be alive, frankly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And this is, and, the, and this is the thing, because I just remember him telling me, you know, when I first met him, which was 20 odd years ago, I just remember going, you what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and then there's me, like for the entire time that I was married, I, I always carried a Ventolin inhaler yeah. with me because it wasn't for me. It was, it was, it was in case he had a, in case he'd been a numpty and forgotten it, which yeah. it was, which was fairly regular because I had one in my handbag. <laughs> so, 
So yeah, it is. I mean, the way the way the way conditions, the way health, the way mental health. Well, there's a the, at the Australian War Memorial in Canberra. There's a there's a sign right at the end of the World War Two exhibit, mm. which whenever I see it as a and this is putting my counsellor hat on. There's a big sign that says, you know, when people were returning from the war, they were told not to talk about it, and mm. the families were told not to ask. Mm. And whenever I see that, it always really, it actually really, really chokes me up. I don't have quite such a, like I don't, it doesn't make me cry anymore. Um, but whenever I see it, it still makes me go far out. Mm -hmm. Like, man, talk about invalidating experiences. Yeah. And the crippling effects of the PTSD that we now well, it's know. It's shell shock then. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, we keep we keep, keep sanitizing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, a bit of the trouble. Yeah, yeah, and the women were hyster hysterical. Oh, hysterical, exactly. Well, that's mm. because you know uh, we could we expressed emotions, and any emotions hysterical. Mm. But, uh, <laughs> but but I think yeah, it, it, we completely invalidated mental health. Mm. Um, people would come back without limbs, and we would provide the physical medical treatment that was required mm. but then there was no treatment that what that might mean to have lost that limb mm. you know and what they might have seen in the process mm. of doing that and what they were asked mm. to do that might be so against mm. who they were as human beings that then they have to come back and reckon with and they have to come mm. back after having been in extreme intense amplified situations to normality mm. and just be the person they were before. And we just, we, you know, don't ask, don't tell, but it's the same with child sex abuse. Mm. That's all coming out now. Oh, it didn't happen. The hundreds and mm. hu thousands of kids who have been abused by mm. institutionalised abuse. Mm. And this is now being talked about. But then the knock-on effects mentally and emotionally, not just for them, but for every child that might be a part of their family because you know, you never know the kind of emotional responses that they're not aware they're giving that children are then picking up. It's or, all of this stuff. Or actually the, the, the complete the lack abuse. of emotion. Or yes. Because they've, because they've chosen or because to survive, they've mm. actually had to do what Brene Brown, of course, is one of her, yeah. one of her famous things is that we cannot selectively numb our emotions. So if we, if we experience something horrendous and we shut down our, our bad negative stuff because this makes me feel really bad yeah we're also shutting off the possibility of pleasure as well absolutely and which... a, a lot of that also comes down to worthiness mm. you know and and mm. so much of you know do i deserve mm. what am i worth while mm. do i have value mm. do i deserve to ask for anything mm. good or experience anything good mm. and you know survival trauma so taking all of that basically totally wrote off the idea of mental health back then. So, mm. uh, you know, I, I, I guess I'm prefacing that because I say I look back and go, I know all the things that I wish my parents would have done. And they were extraordinary in everything they did do mm. with the information they had yes, and the support they had. Yes. And the support they could give could you. Give, yeah. And so I don't think they should carry any guilt, you know what I mean? Mm. Even though they do, they look back now and go, oh, we could see now that this is what this was. Do you know, I have this I, I, like, I have this conversation with clients a lot where especially with old, older um, older people who come in and say, look, I, 
this is this is what I didn't do for this person or this is what yeah. I didn't do for that person. And I I often I said, Did did you did you know what you know now? Mm. Mm. And they're like, well, well, well no. And I said, So did you do the best that you knew how to do? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And they're like, Well, but that's not I said, no 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 no. Did you do the best that you knew how to do at the time? Yeah. But it wasn't the right thing. That's not the question. The question is, did you do the best that you knew how to do? And eventually they get to the, yes, I did. Yeah. We, and and after they've acknowledged that, that's when they can start to forgive, them forgive themselves. themselves for, and isn't everything ultimately about forgiving ourselves? Yeah. And about absolutely. stripping back the shame and being okay and comfortable mm. with who we truly are mm. in a world that tells us all the time that we should not ever love ourselves. Mm. We tell it, we tell us all, we tell, actually, no, that's wrong. We superficially tell it, say that we should love ourselves whilst constantly cutting down the reasons why we should love ourselves. Yes. It's such a hypocrisy. Because if we love ourselves too much, then we're a tall poppy. And if we're a tall yeah. poppy, everybody else is going to cut us down. So therefore, we can't love ourselves. So we're just not going to. And particularly <laughs> with women, I find. Mm. Men are allowed so much more. But it's not even love. It's arrogance have, and confidence. But it's not self-love. It's I think, different. Yeah, I think, I think men do have a little bit more leeway. But I think the way... The way it's exhibited for men is a, is very different for the way women exhibit it. But then that's purely because of the way women are seen as selfish. Self care is one of those things. Mm. I think it's a, again another conversation I have quite a lot. You take your two hours in the morning to do your self care, and that that mm. time is yours. But you then get up and you look after the kids, and you do your job, and mm. you do the thing, and you look after your husband, and you come home from work, and you make dinner and do the thing, and you do everything. In a lot of households, it's not uncommon for the woman to do that and then the husband to come home and play video games for a couple of hours. Oh, yeah. And nobody yeah. bats an eyelid. Yeah. And if, but, and I'm not saying this is, I'm not saying this is all men in no way, shape or form, because there's a lot of men out there that do absolutely contribute to house, and house, I have running to say, a household. My partner does yeah. contribute, mm. but I've had to change my whole self to make that happen. Right. Tell us a little bit more about how you had to change your whole self. Well, it was exactly what you just said. Like I, mm. so, you know, you, you're bumbling, you're sort of bumbling along and then boom, you've got a baby. Mm. <laughs> like, you, you know, it's because everything. There's a, bit, a process for that, you know, yeah. that, uh, that happens. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> you know no, how that, that happens. <laughs> but that's the shift, right? Yeah. That's the shift when suddenly someone's choosing whether they stay at work or not. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, someone's choosing what type of job they suddenly do, whether you can continue. So for me, that shift was fundamentally making a choice as to whether I went forward with a business that I was in the middle of. And I was already in the process of trying to work out because of my anxiety, to be honest, mm. whether I was going to be able to cope with what this business meant. Mm. Um, but the minute I knew that I had, I was going to have a child that decision was no longer even there because to continue with the business would have meant travelling overseas a lot, would have meant going away a lot. Would It was already taking up chunks of time, which was why I'd gotten overwhelmed, mm. where I would spend days in a row not sleeping. Mm. And there were massive circumstances around all of this. Mm. Um, but... I, I got to a critical point and I dealt with that the wrong way and this was my anxiety. And this is my biggest, one of my biggest 
not secrets anymore, but this is one of the things that I had to really do the work and forgive myself on in order to be able to move forward and be okay and Mm. make these changes actually with my partner. But I had this business with a business partner Mm. and this person's extraordinary. And we, I, I literally ran. I had built this thing up. I had projects. I had, I had promised things to people. You I had stopped. taken money and I, I kind of, I shut down. I wouldn't talk to any of them. I wouldn't answer my phone to any of them. Just out of no, I came back from an overseas trip where I was on the verge of signing off. Like three of these TV projects that I had been pitching, I'd just come back from MIP TV and the concept of the expectation of being able to follow through on all of this preface that with the fact that two weeks prior to going overseas, I'd been in hospital with a horrific bug that had dropped me down to 40, not a bug, something I'd picked up overseas, dropped me down to 41 kilos. I had five pulmonary embolisms. I came out of that. And because of where we were at the business, my business partner had just had his first baby. He needed to be home supporting his partner at that time because she wasn't having great reactions to it. Mm. You know, um, not necessarily postnatal, but just, you know, when you've just had a baby, I, I didn't understand and at the, the time. First, and the first Those baby. Those first few weeks yeah. are just, and you know, your, your milk coming in and your emotions changing and how much suddenly you don't have your life anymore. Yeah. It's massive. Mm. And so. And nothing. So I, 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 I don't have children my, of myself, but I do have nieces and nephews and I have lots of friends who have babies and they all say that no amount of classes beforehand no. and talking to friends about who have been through the process and all that stuff, none of that comes even close to giving you an inkling. No, and everyone's of what different. That first few weeks is everyone is different. Yeah. Every single woman on the planet will react differently to the moment of giving birth and to those weeks and months afterwards and what mm. that means for her and her life mm. and her chemicals and her hormones. And we don't give women enough credit for what that does to them. Mm. For having your whole body change over nine months and then boom, be a deflated balloon and suddenly, by the way, your whole life changes now yeah. and you're now this, because everyone just, not not everyone, but most people assume they, the woman is lead parent. The body has built you, built you to do that in those first few years. You can choose not to do that. That's fine. You can work it where you can mm. pump or use bottle. I do not do not judge whether you breastfeed or bottle feed because every woman's experience is different mm. and her mental health is way more important, I'm sorry, oh, yeah. at the end of the yep. day. And I've just seen women wrecked by the expectations that we put on our on, on new mothers and, mm. and all of this curating of life that happens now mm. over social media and it's not fair. Mm. It is fucking hard. Yeah. And so, and the and the expectation uh, that you're going to have a flat tummy again. Oh, and like all of this, the of... body stuff, and that you're going to be joyful, and it's the most amazing moment of your life. Can I tell you what? Pregnancy is shit. I hated pregnancy every single minute. It was sick, and it was uncomfortable, and it was hot, and it was there was nothing. It was painful, and there was nothing where I sat there going, "Oh, this is just so glowy." No. <laughs> It was a put out every single time. The end result was amazing, but that end result is hard work and it's hard work for like the ongoing years. And I adore my kids, but that is the fucking truth. And they're your kids. They're my kids. They're my kids. 
And that's yeah. why they're hard work because I chose to have them. Mm. So that's what I now do is mm. the hard work. That's mm. my choice. Yeah. Um, but when you don't have 50% of the gender, like the you know, our population, when you have one gender not contributing, not even in an equal form, right, mm. but just not contributing. And mm. no, no offence, but you know where it, it really is just so hard? It's the mental work you do. And the emotional work, that mental load, well, not that, thinking ahead. That's not seen. Oh, my God. That carrying that, learning to carry that was the hardest thing ever for me. That's where I would get overwhelmed, yeah. right? And, yeah, so I had to, though, going back, my business partner just had a baby. So that's where his wife was in that moment of mm. change for her whole life. Mm. So I had to step in and give him that space mm. and – but in doing that, I was too sick. At the, I'd just come out of hospital and I was too sick to really go in to, to like, bam, bam. Yeah. And I came back and collapsed. I went and took a job at, like, um, one of those call centres. Like, right. literally, I, I, um, I basically stepped myself out of anything that made me think. And I went in there saying, I'm just doing this to earn a bit of extra money so I don't take money out of my business at the moment. So while we get these things over the line. And I went in there and it was easy. Mm. It was easy. Mm. I knew mm. how to make people happy. I knew how to meet these expectations and fucking exceed them. And mm. the, I kind of hid myself in it. Honestly, I look back now and go, I went, I, I went in there with one intention going, no, nah, I can do this job and I can do my, and I couldn't, I couldn't do it all. And I can do this business and I'll get these projects over the line. And I went, I can't. And I almost suffocated. So I hid. I went into that job every day and I went home. And there was moments in all of that that I honestly drank too much alcohol. I really did. And I was, I, you know, throughout that whole period. Um, not massive amounts, but for me, too much alcohol. Yeah, too much for you. Yeah, too much for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. For another person, they'd be like, but for me, it was too much. And, um, I think I stuck myself on some dating apps. You know what I mean? Like it's like I was trying to jump out. It was too much. I couldn't. Just, just change your life. Yeah. It was like I can't handle this. Mm. And, yeah, went on some dates and stuff. You were married at the time? No, no, no. no, no. Oh, no, you weren't married at the time. And then. No. So you were business partners. Sorry. I had business partner. And that's when I met my current partner and bada bing bada boom three months later I'm pregnant right so but it was honestly the best mm. thing that could have happened I think that pregnancy saved my life right because I could not be a selfish motherfucker anymore right I wow. couldn't live in my anxiety and be a parent I had right. to sort out my shit before that kid got old enough and I kind of knew it mm. Mm. if you know what I mean mm. And mm. if I was going to be any kind of parent to them and if they were going to deal with any of the stuff that I dealt with, which at the time I didn't know I was dealing so with. So it, it was that light bulb moment of this is what I need to do. Yeah. I knew I wasn't having an abortion. Um, not be, I have no problem with that and I'll say openly right now, if I feel pregnant right now, I would terminate in a heartbeat because I know mental, mental health-wise I would not cope. And I know that it would take so much away from my family if I was to introduce another child now, a baby. I couldn't do it to them. I couldn't do it to I 100% feel valid in saying that. 
And I know myself, I would crack. I would end up honestly institutionalized. I would be postnatal. I would not be okay. I'm writing a book about it actually, about a woman who's in that situation because I've seen so many of so my friends face nov- it. A novel or a, yeah, or a yeah, yeah, a novel. Okay. Yeah. It's called Done. Yeah, <laughs> done. done. It's about two generations of women that have to face some really hard choices and they're both done with one aspect of their lives and right. it's a matter of what that means. But um, I think we don't say – well, I don't, I don't think we say we're done enough. enough. Or at all. Women aren't allowed to say they're done. I feel okay. like, like, what are do you we think, allowed? What do you think the consequences are if we do say, if we do say that we're done? What well, happens? for some women, it might mean that their relationship's over. Mm. For some women, it might mean that their family doesn't speak to them again. Mm. For some women, it might mean exile out of their community. Mm. For some women, it might be deep shame that has nothing to do with them, but all the shit that's been fed into them over the years that they actually don't realize they don't believe in at all. Mm. So. Mm. Being done has consequences. Being mm. able to stand firm in saying that and facing what those consequences mean is no small thing for a woman, especially mm. now. We've only just had abortion decriminalised in New South Wales. Do you think men are allowed to say I'm done? 100%. They do it all the time. They walk out the door. Tane said it twice in our relationship. I've tried to say it. I'm not allowed because wow. for some reason men are allowed the space to go and work out their stuff he said, I'm done in the first, but I actually didn't expect to be in a relationship with my partner. Mm. I expected I would be doing this alone. Right. I'd actually gone to him saying, mm. caveat, he's six years younger than me, mm. right? Mm. Um, I went to him saying, listen, I'm at a stage and age and whatever in my life where this for me is not a choice. This is my next step. Mm. And mm. I don't expect that to be the same for you. Mm. So whatever choice you want to make wow, around this. So you went this, to him and you actually gave him a choice. 100%. Mm. Of course I would. It wasn't, it wasn't, I'm doing this with or without you. It was kind of, I'm doing this with or without you. It was, but yeah. it was like, I, I want to know what that means for you and how you mm. would, you know. And so, and it's like, and if you want to stick around, like what I, what I was saying was, I don't assume, we've been dating for three months shagging like rabbits. We were very, we were very responsible. I just want to say we were responsible. So I also don't like the assumptions that are made. Sorry, let me, let me get you quickly a chair. No, just keep going. I have the yoga ball right there. Do you want to sit on it? No, keep going. Okay. (laughs) Um, I don't edit this by the way, so keep talking. Oh (laughs) no. Send it to me and I'll edit it. No, no, no. no. <laughs> um, I needed. I needed to move. It's okay. Okay. No, I understand. <laughs> yeah. I w- I would also have the fan on for you, except I know the noise is going to be picked up on the microphone. Oh, no, don't worry about it. It's <laughs> fine. It's podcasting. See. No, no. It's, it's, um, it's every day is an adventure. It is. It is <laughs> just like life. <laughs> Um, so I wanted to not have any assumption. The only thing I knew was that I was having the baby. So his first thing was instantly, I'm too young for this and I'm not ready for this, which I knew was going to be the case. Mm. Um, and I expected to be the case. I was like all ready for what, you know, Mm. um, except we'd, you know, we'd been hanging out and all of that kind of thing. I had feelings for him. I really liked this guy. Um, I don't know if it was love, but I, f- I knew it was potentially moving towards that space. 
it was um, three months in. I mean, it was only three months in, but yeah. then you're pregnant. It's all very confusing, right? It's all very oh, uh, hormones overwhelming in. and intense. Yeah, it's like ugh. Mm. So, and he wasn't in love with me, and yeah, and I and then he came back. I was getting you know a new flatmate in or something because my flatmate at the time was pregnant. <laughs> Right. It was like a bug that went around the apartment. Yes. It, was ca- it, was <laughs> it was catchy. <laughs> yeah. Clearly, um. clearly somebody was doing something. We just don't know what it was. But everyone caught it. <laughs> different fathers. Different fathers just saying. <laughs> um, and, yeah, and so I was looking. And he actually just called and said, and I just secured someone. Mm. And he called and said, um, no, I think don't don't move the next person in. I would like to move in and try and give this a go. And I was like, okay, wow, that's not what I was expecting, but let's roll with it and mm. see. And it was fucking awful. Oh. <laughs> it was awful. He needed to grow up and I needed to be able to go, oh, my God, what is happening? And But it was all about him. Mm. It was all about him. Mm. And he was angry. He's an, mm. he's been an angry man. And I started to see things mm. that because I'd been previously, I'd spent two years in a relationship with a man who had horrifically abused me. And I didn't actually realize how badly abused I'd been until much later when I started reading about abuse and coercive control and was oh, yeah. like, oh my God. He was really nasty. Yeah. Wow. That whole coercive, that's what all of that was. And it took me a long time but even, to even, unwind that you know, stuff. Even when we think about, you know, talking about what we were talking about earlier on about the things not being recognised when you were a child. Yeah. Coercive control was, would have been. Didn't would exist. Have been, would have been <laughs> so high on that list because that was that yeah. was pretty much. Yeah. It was almost expected of a relationship. 100%. And especially when you're dealing with so many men who've come back with PTSD, Mm. who don't understand what is happening within them. Yes. And why they're needing this control in their lives. You know, generations of men, Mm. right? And so, because the war was like this massive turnaround as well for feminism, of course. Well, yeah, because we all got jobs. Exactly. And suddenly <laughs> went, oh, my God. And we were allowed to drive. We were capable driving trucks and, and we were wearing yeah, pants. And... We can do this stuff. Yeah. You guys told us we can't do this and yeah. we can and we yeah. like it. And we can go out bare-legged even if we had yeah. got a line of eyeliner up the back of our legs <laughs> make it look like we've got stockings on. But <laughs> we're going out bare-legged anyway. <laughs> Hope and Glory was one of my favourite films as a kid. It really was. Um, but, yeah, you know, and it was this It was this sort of second awakening, blossoming mm. of women of themselves, you know, yeah. which created all this tension because mm. then elder men go, you know, and so mm. it, it all makes sense. And so coercive control, yeah, it didn't exist. Gaslighting was a movie. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. that's all that was. Um, but now I, I recognise it. So this time around I started to get this kind of twinge, this like my gut was trying to go, hell, you know where this leads. Mm. And I started pushing back on it. All right. But it was in this, at first it was in the wrong way. It was in a mm. way that, and I'm not at all blaming myself, but it was in a way that meant that I fed into it rather than called it and right. stood outside of it. Now I call it. Right. He doesn't get away with anything yeah. anymore. 
Um, it took so he moved in. We moved. We were going to move to the coast. He fled to Sydney and went. I can't do this. Blah. This is all too much. Mm. Blah. So mm. you know, all did all that. Had the baby. Six months down the track, he moved back to the coast. Decided he wanted to be a part of it. Came back in. First pregnancy was all about him and managing his emotional meltdown. Right. Mm. Ba 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 He's a bit of an asshole, frankly. Um, he's a bit aggressive. I I, I can und- I, I get the feeling that he that you have no compunction about telling him that either when he's been absolutely not now. Oh well, yeah. I try. I actually try not to use words like that. I try not to to use insults deliberately. It's completely unproductive. Mm. And then a person like that grabs onto the insult and says, well, mm. you've just called me this name. And rather than looking at the point, you've got to be really careful. It's like playing a game of chess with someone with a brain like this. So is it, so, I mean, obviously I, I, I actually haven't met your partner, but sometimes when, if you've had, if you've spoken about behavior, it can sometimes be a little bit of a, a bit of a flag to just say, rather than saying you're behaving like an asshole or you're being an asshole. Sometimes it can be quite useful to sort of just say, you're behaving a bit like an asshole right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I do do that in that way quite often. Yeah, like, okay. Yeah, yeah, like so it's not ca- actually saying you're being an asshole. It's about yeah. just flagging. And my yeah, kids, okay. we have that distinction as well. So I, yeah. I've said um, you're behaving like you're behaving like a sport brat at the moment, Coates. Yeah. You know, you're behaving like a spoiled brat at the moment, dude. Yeah. And um, he'll turn around and say, you call me a name. We don't call names. Don't call me a spoiled brat. And I said, no, I didn't. Yeah. I called your behavior because it's exactly how it's coming across and I can't think of any other way to best describe it. Yeah. I am not calling you a spoiled brat. It's the behavior. But the way you're behaving in this moment is like that. Mm. And that's what I do with Kane as well. I, I actually parent my kids and my partner exactly the same way. And yes, I hun- and I have said that to him as well. I 100% feel like you've put me in parent role and you react yeah. to me exactly as you react mm. if you were a 15-year-old reacting to your mother. So has, all the time. Have has has the way you has the way you um behave in relationship with your with your family changed since you started therapy? Oh, very much so, but I've had a, a few different therapists. So when okay. I actually had, so after that abusive relationship, I went hell-bent self-destructive for a while. We might don't need that story. But I then ended up with a psychiatrist. Yep, ended up with a psychiatrist. Um, don't need to discuss that. Didn't fit. And then went to a few psychologists after that, most of them um, cognitive behaviour therapy. Yep. Related. Did, this, did, did, did cognitive behaviour therapy or CBT work for you? Yes, but what I found better is actually because you recommended someone to me. So just <laughs> ju- just so the listeners um, know how we connected, we met in a writer's group on Facebook. Yes. And somebody else had posted something about writing an article about mental health. You emailed me. And I said, no, no, that's not it. I posted oh. that my partner had threatened to take my business away and put me in jail. And I was devastated oh, right. and yes. I didn't know where else yes. to go anymore because yes. I was so scared of telling my friends because yes. I knew they had heard too many stories over the years of how he can be a very emotionally abusive. Yeah. And I just want to preface, by the way, say, not preface, but I'd just like to say, He's no. He's done lots of work. He's mm. in the process of doing work. I'm still here. He's not at all violent towards me. Mm. And I would suggest now 
Um, he has emotionally abusive tendencies, but I don't allow them in anymore. Mm. And he's taking the cues to change his anger and behavior in a big right. way, which is why I'm still so here you're with actually, my children. So you're actually working together. hundred percent. To... to, 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 to Work to, so you're working together to fix yourselves. 100%. And I would wow. like to say anyone in any wow. situation like this, Jess Hill's book, See What You Made Me Do, has been invaluable to both of us. He yes. listened to the audiobook. I read the book. I would love to interview her. I've interviewed <laughs> Jess. I did a two-parter with her. Um, wow. I made all of her articles. But, yeah. yes, that book. It's, an, it's, an, it's a phenomenal book. Groundbreaking yeah. kind of book because it yeah. focuses on the man in mm. why men are doing this, why mm. society has created this anger and what needs to happen in order for it to change mm. individually in policy, in the family law courts, all of it. But having him hear that because I think what else it needs to do is you need, they need to consume stories of other abusers, mm. abusers who are acknowledging mm. themselves and not afraid of the shame. This is what I've done. Yeah. This so, is what I've done and this is what I've done to fix it. Yes, and Kylie Douse, um, First Nations um, counsellor, has created an amazing program. It's in Jess's book right. where she yeah. actually takes shame and puts it in the corner and they identify shame in the room, the groups of abusive men, and wow. she said that that has been the most extraordinary tool to allow these men to then find their vulnerable selves and learn how to become better people and also stop victimising themselves and pathologising their own behaviour through the healing process. Mm, You know, this whole – so, yeah, that book – Everybody should read that book. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I've, yeah. I've, um, uh, I, so I do group supervision for, for for quite a few people, and I have I have read. Um, it's called "See What You Made Me Do" yep. by Jess Hill, so cool. and it's it's it, it is it is quite a thick book. It is yep. it, it is a it's quite a heavy read. Um, I, it's not an easy read. It's not, but yeah, heavy or easy read exactly. So I I I I, yeah. I read it. <laughs> I read it chapter by chapter, alternating between that and Elton John's me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good idea. I read it literally is, went into an emotional meltdown yeah, because and that's of why all the stuff it yeah. showed up to me. Yeah, it was full. On, it like yeah. for I I yeah, would have done. Yeah, it's yeah yeah. That's I ended up in actually. It was then when I started seeing Michelle. So the other thing, so the other thing that I that I find when I'm reading particularly heavy books like that, and I mean I'm not saying that it's heavy as in bad. It's it's heavy because the content is amazing, mm. but it, it is it is quite raw some of the content. And the other thing that I find, so that you can actually absorb it without without too much effort required on your part. Mm. If you read it, if you, I find if I read out loud, oh. I only have to read it once. Yeah. It goes in and it sticks. Whereas if I read in my head, if I read silently in my head, and I actually d- d- I started doing this when I was at uni. So Fifi, who is here uh, for our recording today, is one of the most well-educated dogs, and my cat is also <laughs> extremely well-educated because they've You're- literally heard all my course material. They both pretty much slept through sleep through most of my reading now but they but they but I read it I read it to the, I read it to the animals and yeah, it yeah. means that I take the information in I don't have to reread because I'm kind yeah. of because I haven't skipped I haven't sped read I haven't done that I've actually read every single word and it does go in I don't have to read things once yeah yeah that's a good idea and when I when I have clients who are uni uni students who are really struggling um that's one of the pieces 
one of the things, suggestions the that advice. I make. Oh. And quite often they come back and they go, oh, my God, it's so much easier studying like that. I feel like a complete numpty reading out loud because I'm a grown-up and we're not supposed to read out loud anymore. <laughs> but I remember everything, you know, because you get to it, you get to yeah. an age where you where you don't read out loud anymore no, unless true. you're reading children's stories to your yeah, children. That's exactly right. And I can remember all the children's stories I've been reading to all my children. So it works. Yeah. Yeah. But I, you know, I read I read just <laughs> this is the other thing. I read I read See What You Made Me Do, which of course is all about, you know, spousal abuse and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But I read it in a sing-songy voice. That's oh and my goodness. Is, and this person did this and this person did that. <laughs> that and you know, and then this is what happened. So it also, it also kind of That's gave it surreal. A, That's psychedelic. Oh yeah, it was a little bit. And I promise I wasn't on drugs. I was just going <laughs> to sleep. But it meant that it was, it wasn't quite as heavy because I was doing it in a sing-songy voice. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm reading to the dogs. Yeah. I was reading to the cat and the dog. So I was reading it like I was reading Beatrix Potter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess that would take a little bit of the edge off. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, I, next interview I do, I might, with the research, actually read out loud the bits that I really want to retain and I'll do it that way because yeah. I spend so much time highlighting and sticky noting and I'll do it that way and see if it works. I, I, I literally did my master's degree for my counselling reading out loud and I don't think I highlighted and sticky taped anything. Wow. You should see my See What You Made Me Do book. It's yeah. like... Well, I, I I also have a I also have a bit of a pathological um, desire not to put any kind of mark on a book at all because as far as oh. I'm concerned they're pretty sacred. So I, I I I find it really really difficult to mark books. So that's that's one of the reasons oh. why I started reading out loud because it was like I know that I retain the information, and See, that came from so an exercise funny. I did years ago. When I picked the hardest thing to do an essay on without even knowing, but just because it was in a particular week, and they went, "Oh, you picked the hardest one." And I had to read it, and I kept reading it, and I kept reading it. I was like, this, it is, wasn't not, sticking this in. is not going in. Yeah. Got to do an analysis of this piece. Yeah, yeah. And then I reread the first line again, and the first line was literally, this is a presentation designed to be read out loud. Ah! <laughs> and I had read it in my head probably a dozen times. Yeah. I'd read that line and not. Yeah. Anything. So I went, right, okay. So I you know, got myself a glass of wine and sat there and I had this reading and I just started reading it out loud. And suddenly it was like, oh. Yeah. Got it. Interesting. Okay, I'll do that for the next So when interview. you get your really heavy material. Yeah. Especially when it's really close to home. It can really, it can really make a difference in how also how you retain separate it. you. Yeah, separate you from it. Just like when you're reading out your writing. Um, that you've written to see what it sounds like yeah. out loud. Ah, yeah, interesting. Absolutely. Well, that book has been a huge thing, but yeah. the, the counsellor. So, yeah, what happened was last year or no, two years ago, I decided I'd done all, I'd done a lot of work. I'd been diagnosed. I suddenly, I understood my anxiety. I understood mm. myself. I'd forgiven myself mm. for what I'd done in that business. Mm. That was huge. Excavated the shame, gone back. To the per actually, you know, one of the biggest moments was I randomly just got this message of forgiveness from my old business partner, and that was like it released me. Wow! It was the most. It was like something just went phoom, the minute I read it out of my body, and I just cried and cried, and wow. I just thanked him. Wow! Because he, it was out of nowhere. He just sent a message saying, "I just want you to know that I forgive you. I forgive wow. you." And he's to this day one of my most special people and mm. I will work with him again and we will create things together. Mm. Um, but 
yeah, that moment was huge because then I could forgive myself. Mm. It was wow. that unlocked me. Yeah. Um, and then I could tell people about what I'd done. Mm. Wow. I'd never truly talked to Kane about that moment and where he'd met me, mm. and I did. Um, and, yeah, I got everything that I thought I might be ashamed of in my life and I just dumped it all out and forgave myself for every single thing. Wow. And that freed me. And then I turned around and went, why am I so unhappy? And then I went, oh, because all I do all day is look after every other person. See, it was it was easy right. to hide in that process. Mm. It's easy. The busyness of toddlers and babies mm. means that you, yeah. So it, mm. at first I did work part-time. I went, I worked at a video shop locally. Video shops, remember those? Video shops. Or DVD <laughs> shops. The video shop I used to go to when I was a kid. Did you, did it have, blew my mind. Did it have VHS tapes in it? No. Just no, d- just DVD, just DVDs, Blu-ray. We had Blu-ray. Blu-ray. Okay, yeah. so you were a little bit up with the times then. Oh yeah, it was no, no, it was it was a DVD <laughs> shop video. But I worked with it and watched both of those shops die um, because of Netflix streaming, all yeah. of that. They literally, by the time I came back from pregnancy, from Bill, there wasn't really a job for me to go back to. Yeah, and so I chose, and we didn't financially need me to go back to work at that time and with Cody being ADHD and we didn't know it Mm. and not reacting well to Belle's introduction to the family Mm. Um, and with Belle, neither one of them were sleepers. They both had tummy issues, lactose stuff, right? You know, the classic stories, blah, blah. Every mother's heard it, blah. Yeah. Um, No, don't, you know, you don't. You don't want to say it because you know everyone's heard it. Yeah. Um, But I just went, yeah, okay, I'll just stop working for a couple of years while Belle grows up. Mm. Um, When she gets to Mm. four, three or four, I'll look at going back to work. And Mm. I had no idea what that was. Mm. During that period, I'd gotten through all my stuff. Then I started writing. I discovered writing Mm. and I decided I wanted to write. And I think my whole life I, I thought I wanted to make film and TV but really all I wanted to do was tell stories. Mm, I wanted to tell stories. Yeah. Mm. And stories, I believe, change the world. Yeah. They connect us. They let us see ourselves. They let us experience another person's point of view. Mm. They allow us to understand the vulnerabilities of being human and be okay with that. Mm. And that's what I wanted to do because Mm. I was reading books and um, I was reading lots of kids' books and picture books and I realised what a great art form they were and I wanted to write picture books. And so I just started mm. doing courses, started writing little things and mm. moving in that world. I joined Room to Read, um, became a part of their ambassador program, volunteering for them. They're an organisation that built um, – their motto is world change starts with educated children. Mm. So they go around to third world countries, particularly for girls and provide education where education is normally denied. I can certainly, I mean, I can share some information about that on the blog post as oh, well. Oh, that'd be great. They're, this, yeah, they're about, amazing. About they build yeah. libraries. They create, they've published thousands of native title books in languages that have never been published before using people from the area. Like wow. they incorporate the community 
to do everything. So it's not just putting a, a quick fix in and walking away. So really getting some sense of purpose in 100%. your own life as well with the, with the writing and the telling oh, yeah. the stories. And I think yeah. those two things solidified my activist self, who I've always been someone who just wanted the world to be a more equal place. Yeah. And I never understood why we judged each other the way we do. Mm. And I've always felt that that is so deeply unfair mm. and that if only we could see the mm. other person's side, like how do we, mm. I feel like there's such a lack of humanity sometimes. I don't understand why we can't just look at each other as other human beings, mm. you know, and um, that comes from my parents. And then the writing side, telling stories. Mm. So I found these two things and then I had to build my confidence because I had none. Mm. I had none left. I had none. I'd never had any to begin with. Mm. And so I'd forgiven myself. I knew what I needed to do. And then I needed to work out how to get out there. And I was trapped in this home where everybody just woke up and got looked after and the world operated around everybody else. And there was no space for me. And mm. so I started pushing back. And at one point I went, I want this to be over because you're an angry man and I don't want to deal with that anymore. Mm. Um, and I'm I'm invisible. Mm. I'm a verb. I don't exist. Mm. And I want to exist again. Mm. I have thoughts. I have so many thoughts and feelings and I can do so much and I can do so much more than working in a shop. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that is not what I believe my purpose is. You wanted more for yourself. Yes. Mm. And I can I watch my partner going up the ladder creating his career and not not even being passionate about it, which really I just go, okay, well, that's, you know, cool, but you've got all the opportunity in Seems the world so unfair, every single it? day of the week. You're looked after. Here's your lunch and your coffee and you come home to dinner. The kids are beautifully taken care of and I don't exist. Mm. And so I demanded one day on a weekend, every weekend. No, I demanded the space to start doing stuff. So I started going out and doing things for Room to Read. That mm. was what started it and also proving to myself that I could and it meant overcoming huge anxieties, getting up in front of people and doing talks about room to read to people mm. to try and get them involved, being a part of the Children's Book Council of Australia which helps support room to read, being mm. a part of the ambassador program, going out to writing events and trying to get people engaged and, and putting myself out there. And every single time was terrifying. Yeah, I know. I'm so... ADHD, I talk forever. Every single time was terrifying, but every single time I did it, even if I didn't get it perfect, even if I fucked it up, I did it. And I had mm. that that gave me a gateway to a tiny bit of self-esteem. Yeah. And then the more I did it, the bigger my esteem grew. And all of a sudden I turned around a year later and I wasn't scared of myself anymore. Wow. I wasn't scared that I was going to let the world down again. Yeah, wow. And... That was huge and I suddenly had this other thought process which was I can do something positive for the world. I have something to give and that's when I just demanded I was starting a business and I was going, I in the process I'd listened to lots of podcasts. One of the ambassadors was Pamela Cook who is now my podcast host on Rights for Women. Mm. I just said she was mentoring me through my first so book your, that I so was your writing. Business, your business is is this podcast Rights for Women. No, no, no. Oh, no? That's just one of my podcasts. My okay. business is Listen Up Podcasting and we make podcasts for a positive world. Right. And that's our whole thing. And I'm okay. building a village of of like-minded people where we have a community of makers who 
we have the basis of no shame, no judgment, no blame. We have the basis that life and work has to come together. Is that me? No, it's me. It's fine. Um, we have this premise that, you know, people have kids, people have sick parents, people stuff, mm. you know, we don't have to work nine to five. No. If you can deliver, deliver. We can work from our homes. Mm. If you have a school thing on that day, work it out mm. and just let me know what you need and we work mm. it out together because my business isn't about messing up your life and demanding that I pretend you don't have a life and I have other mums working with me. Mm, and they can How, work their hours that they 100%, need to work. 100%. And they, they can work. come to me and say, hey, all this stuff happened. Mm. And I go, right, we work that out. And if as I grow we need to push back, we're mm. going to push back because I have privilege. And privilege means I've got to do something in this world. Mm. That it's not something you sit back and enjoy. Mm. You have mm. a obligation, us of the privileged. Mm. You know, I'm a white woman. I got more privilege than so many other women. I might have experienced domestic violence, but I've never experienced what it means to be a person of colour in a racist world. No. I've never experienced what it means to be a woman of First Nations heritage in Australia, in a white colonised Australia. Mm. My job is to try and open voices for others. Yeah, My right. job is to allow others to tell their stories. Well, it certainly sounds like that's what you're doing. That's, that's be, it. But you're also... But you're also Working, doing your own journey at the same time. So, I, I really want to thank you for being so passionate no, today. No, 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 that's <laughs> no, no. Don't, don't, don't downplay it. It's absolutely wonderful to see somebody so passionate. So, we mentioned that you are experiencing your own, um, your own therapeutic journey at the moment as well. And something that I ask when we come to the end of every podcast is, what do you see as your future, your mental health future? My mental health future, I don't know. It's an unknown. My mental health future is trying to be the best version of myself every day. Mm. It's trying to exist in a space of compassion and kindness and empathy, not just for myself, but for my fellow human beings who I know every single person I meet probably going through their own mental health journey mm. on some level. Yeah. Um, it is to try and do the work that sometimes I forget to do that I know is important. Try and do the yoga, do mm. the meditation, demand the space. Hello, Fifi. <laughs> By the way, my other cat's called Fifi. You'd love her. <laughs> but demand that space that says I need time alone and if you mm. over there don't understand why I need time without, mm. that doesn't matter to me. I know that my brain needs time disconnected. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what it is and that's it. It's just going every day trying to be the best version and – being okay with not being yeah. the best version, I think, is where I want to get to. Yeah, being okay with not being the best version, but yeah. working towards the best. Yeah, instead of having panic wow. attacks and hating on yourself, just yeah. going, that's just you today. Yeah, brilliant. That's it. Yeah. Right. Thank anyway. you. Thank you so much, so much for your time, for your time today. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. It's been lovely talking to you once again. <laughs> sorry, I rave. <laughs> thank you, Kel, for sharing your secrets today. I'd like to thank Nick McCorriston, my podcast guy and sound guru, for doing what he does with the sound editing. Um, when you're working mobile, it can be a bit of a hit and miss with the spaces that you're recording. Thank you so much to you, the listener, for listening, for rating and subscribing. It's really important that you subscribe and that you rate us. It really helps to keep us at the top. 
If you have secrets that you'd like to share, whether you be a client or a clinician, please send me an email via my website, secretkeepercounseling.com.au. And if you like this podcast enough to keep listening to it and you feel like sponsoring, just head on over to Patreon, Two Secrets We Share, uh, where you can make a small monthly contribution if you'd like to help contribute. Otherwise, thank you very much once again, Kel. And until next time, stay well. Thank you for listening to Secrets We Share. If you're interested in sharing some of your secrets, please visit our website at secretkeepercounseling.com.au. Keep an ear out for our next episode soon.